houses for church. From house to house. So the church in Thessalonica, let's say, for example, could be a multitude of locations in that city. Right? So church is not what we do. Church is who we are. So when I'm walking around in my job, I'm the church. When you're walking around in school, you're the church. When you're at your job, you're the church. Right? All by your little self, you represent the church of Jesus Christ. So the church is wherever we are. Amen? So we talked about the, the, the head of the, who's the head? Of the, the church is the body of Christ and Jesus Christ is the head. Right? We, we, we established that he is the head. Right? So we're going to go right into the next um, subject that we're going to discuss is the church's discipline. The church's discipline. You mean the church has discipline? Absolutely. Amen. Matthew 18, verse 15 through 17 says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him, his fault between thee and him alone, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if it shall, if he shall neglect to hear them, then tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So it sounds like that there's discipline in the church based on that scripture. That there there were situations where somebody got out of line and they didn't just take that person and just kick them to the curb and just kick them out the door and say, sorry, see you later. No, they went through great pains, it sounds like to me, to do their level best to try to help that brother or that sister to bring them back into fellowship, to bring them back to an understanding of, you know, there's certain things that we're going to do as a church. And so they had to they had to have instituted discipline. Now, where did that come from? Has there always been discipline in the church? Because the church really, we talked about the last time we were together, if Jesus Christ is the head of the church, if he's the head of the body, right? He's the cornerstone. Where, where did he have his beginning? Not, not the day he was born out of Mary's womb. Right? What, did, what does the Bible say about Jesus that he's, he is the beginning. He is the ending. He, from the very foundations of the world. So the church would include the people of Israel, right? And God's chosen people all the way through time. So did God have instituted discipline for his body back in the Old Testament? Absolutely. There, there were those ten commandments, not those ten suggestions, but those ten commandments. And then there were 613 laws that were, just, that were brought down to help them to obey those ten commandments. And though we we could get into that for days about those laws and all the things that those laws said about 
how to worship and what what dove to bring and who and all those things and how to deal with people that don't want to act right. Like Achan. Right? When he brought that stuff in the camp, he was told not to bring into the camp. They went about and they did they dealt with him. And it wasn't like they didn't know what was coming. They knew. He did it anyway. And then when they got found out, they realized we're going to be punished. And so there's discipline in the church. In dictionary.com, the word discipline uh, has a couple of meanings. The number one meaning is training to act in accordance with rules. Drill, like military discipline. How many go through training on your job? Right? I don't care if it's a secular job or military job. There's required training. Where I work, if you don't do your online training, they lock out your computer access. And you gotta go find your boss's computer or one at the library to do your training so that they'll re- restore your access so you can do your job. <laughs> Is that discipline? Cause they give you plenty of warnings on your computer that come up and say, hey, your trainings you do, your trainings do, and you keep ignoring it. And then one day you can't get in your computer, and then it's like, uh, they act like they didn't know. But they knew, because they had plenty of warning. Don't we get plenty of warning out of this book about how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to act? And so we, we act surprised when we have to be disciplined, right? Why, why is God whooping me? I don't get it. Oh, God knows your thoughts. He knows your actions. You might be hiding it from the pastor or somebody else, but you ain't hiding it from God. And he gave Israel plenty of chances. He sent them prophets like Jeremiah that preached to them for 30 years, and they still didn't listen. And even up to the day that Nebuchadnezzar showed up on their doorstep, they still didn't believe it was going to happen. But they got carried into bondage. And I can see Jeremiah going, I tried, you know, to himself, walking around. I tried to tell him. I tried to tell him. I tried to tell him, and they wouldn't listen. But he did. He tried to tell him. And, you know, Jeremiah, he got favor because of that. And the king gave him favor, and he gave him special treatment as the prophet. Because Nebuchadnezzar was just God's tool. God sent Nebuchadnezzar and his armies to do that. You read in the book of Jeremiah, it says that. He was just a tool in the hand of God. So God will use things in your life to get your attention. It's called discipline. But why go through that, right? Why not go through some training so you don't have to go through all that pain and suffering of having to, when you don't obey what the Word of God says? Right? Number two, activity, exercise, or regimen that develops or improves a skill, training. For example, a daily stint at the typewriter is an excellent discipline for a writer. You keep your skills home, right? You, you might learn how to ride a bike once, but if you don't ride one for a while and try to get back on one, I used to ride my bike to the, from my house to the pool and back all summer long, and I never touched the handlebars both ways. I could just ride sitting up like this. 
because I learned how to steer that bike with just moving my body around. But when I tried to do that here recently, <laughs> good thing nobody was looking. <laughs> oh, I've done this before. I can do it. No, it ain't like that. You get out of practice. So we have to constantly be training. I, how many likes discipline? No, no takers? <laughs> Come on. I love to be whooped, don't you? No. So what do we do to avoid that? As a child, I, I after a couple of whoopings, I figured out, don't do that. Because this that will happen if you do. So I we avoided it, right? Hopefully we learned that. But sometimes we don't, even as adults. We can still get off track. And what is discipline there for? Not to condemn us. Not to beat us down. It's there to help us get back on the right track. Right? Punishment inflicted by way of correction and training. It might feel like punishment to you, but really what it is is corrective actions to help get you on off the wrong path and onto the right path. Right? If you're driving down the road and you're not paying attention and you're looking over there at what's at the mall, guess where your vehicle's going to go? Right where you're looking. Right? You've got to keep your eye on the road. Stay on the road. So we've got to keep our eye on this truth, this gospel, this doctrine, and all these things that, that we, that make us who we are as the church if we're going to stay in our lane. If I can put it that way, there has to be a disciplined approach to our daily living as well as our daily functioning, the daily functioning of the body. We, every one of us is disciplined in some way, aren't we? We get up in the morning, we do the same things. We, we every, do certain things in order when we get up in the morning, right? In my, you, know, you shave, you take your shower. You get dressed, you go in upstairs and you have breakfast and then you do this and you get your stuff and you put it in your vehicle and you get in your vehicle and you warm it up for five minutes and then you, you do the same routine every day. That's called discipline. You're disciplined in your, your activities and how you go about your life. And so it's not hard for us to be disciplined in the things of God, is it? Or is it? Sometimes it is. Because sometimes your flesh don't want to get out of bed. Because it's warm. But you know you gotta go to work. Or you won't get paid. And so you, you discipline yourself to get up anyway. Right? You might be dragging, but you're getting up. You're making yourself do it. That's called discipline. And if you decide to not be disciplined that morning, and you come dragging in at 15 after 8, because you didn't discipline yourself, you will be disciplined. They will help you to see that, that that's not what you do. Right? Most employers are like that. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. We're talking about the church. We're talking about discipline. I'm going to try to hurry through this because there's one other subject I want to talk about. Hebrews 12. Verse 5 through 8. My 
technology guru up there gets the scripture up there. Sister Vicky, read that for me if you would. Oh, there it is. Go ahead. Hmm. Keep going to eight. Right. Chastisement. Whereof all ye are partakers. If what's that saying? Sometimes God's got to put a whooping on us, and. If we're not willing to receive that chastisement, that's a hard saying right there. Then you're bastards and not sons. Right? So there's going to be times in our life where we're going to have to receive chastisement. Why? Because we're not always going to do everything right all the time. Why? Because we're human. Right? Is that why? Because we're human. We're flesh. And God knows that. And he, like a loving father, he's not going to let us just keep going down, going off the path. If you love kids, you're not just going to let them keep going off the path and say, well, maybe they'll find their way. No, 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 because maybe they won't. So you're going to try to go over there and say, no, 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 let's get back over here on the path. And that's what the Lord will do in our life. And he might use a pastor like, like Brother Parker to do that. Or he might use a friend or a brother or sister or somebody. Or he might use someone that's totally not even in the church. I mean, he used a mule to get a, a man to, walk, to get off the, from going the wrong way. So he'll use somebody. He, he might use your boss at work as a tool in his hand like he used Nebuchadnezzar to help you understand it. We don't... Why did why why did all that happen? Because they continued to serve other gods, idols. And if you read the book, the, the Bible, if you read the Bible, after they got out of bondage, after that seventy years, you never read about Israel worshiping idols anymore. Think they got? You think they learned the lesson? That's the hope that God wants is that we'll learn the lesson. Right? That word chastisement, chastening, chast, chasteneth, chastening and chastisement all are the same Greek word in that scripture and it means originally to bring up a child to educate used of activity directed toward the moral and spiritual nurture and training of a child. Aren't we children of God? We're his children, aren't we? And he wants what's best for his children. To influence conscious 
will in action, to instruct particularly a child or youth, to instruct by chastisement, to correct, to chastise. How many are thankful today for some chastisement in your life, even in the natural? Right? Thank you. I thank my mother for for chastising me and for giving me those whoopings. I thank her. Because I wouldn't be who I am today if she hadn't have said, no, you don't go that way. We don't talk like that. We don't do that. Right? And sometimes we forget that stuff. Right? As soon as we get out of the house, we want to go back to our old ways. And a lot of people find out that, that you can't do that and because they have guys in these cars with these lights on them, and they'll, they'll help get you right. If you veer off in the wrong direction, they'll, they'll help. We, we got these guys, people called judges out there that'll mete out punishment to you to help you see that we don't live like that. Am I right? I love this one judge I saw on YouTube that he, I don't, he's in Maine or somewhere up in there, but he meets out punishment to fit the crime. Like a guy stole a bike and he made that kid ride the bike that he stole through the parade in town with a big sign hanging on him that said something like, I stole this bike and I'll never do it again or something like that. He made the punishment fit the crime. And that boy never had a problem with stealing bikes after that, I promise you. Yeah, that's a little humiliation, right? But it got the message across. And you know what the judge did? He gave that boy a choice in the court. He said, your choice. You do that or you go sit in jail for a week with all those other miscreants and people in jail, right? So the boy made the choice with his mother standing there. So, you know, even King David was given a choice one time. Three choices, as a matter of fact. Right? And God meted out the one he chose. And then God did, what did God do? He had mercy. He said, all right, yeah, I know I said this many days, but that's enough. Because God is merciful. He doesn't want it. He's not up there as a big disciplinarian ready to beat us down with a stick. He loves us. That's why there's discipline in the church. There's discipline, like I said, on the job. There's everywhere we go, there's discipline. You, you go over that speed limit enough times, you'll be disciplined. Right? They got those guys sitting out there. They just want to meet you and introduce themselves to you. Right? I don't want to have to meet those guys under those circumstances. Do you? Of course we don't. So we live within the guidelines, don't we? We choose to live within the guidelines and stay, as they say, under the radar. But we can't do that with God. His word is very specific. Right? If you're going to be a part of the church, then there's some, some expectations in your life. And you're going to live like that, or you're not going to be a part of the church. And that's, I didn't say that. I didn't make that up. That's God's rules. But he's a loving God. He, he doesn't, you know, it's our reasonable service, the Bible says, right? I don't like being rebuked, but... If, if I need, if God thinks I need to be rebuked, then there must be a good reason. And I just have, have to realize that if it's God rebuking me, help me God to learn the lesson. So I don't have to keep getting rebuked. Right? 
Who likes getting whooped for the same thing over and over? Nobody. We talked about Israel and and the law and all. It's 3.11 through 12. says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. He delights in us. He wants us to be blessed. He loves us enough that he's not going to let us just keep going the wrong way. Right? Is that right? I mean, it is right, but you, you have to agree with yourself that it's right. Because there's going to come a time in your life when God's going to chastise you. You're not going to like it. But you have to realize that he's a loving God and he, he doesn't mean it for your bad. He means it for your good. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and, and to, are the called according to his purpose. All things, even the chastisement, even the discipline. Right? Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the scripture is there. For our good. Right? And I, I, I have these, this tube of antibiotic medicine at home. And when I get a cut or something like that, and I got a cut, I go and I clean it up and I put some of that on there and I wrap a band-aid around it. But that medicine won't do me any good if I just leave the medicine in the cabinet. Right? I gotta apply it. Right? So we have to apply this word. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to have to wait for what's coming from here for me to find out what word I need to apply. It's up to me. It's my responsibility to read the, the driver's book and take go take the test so I can get my driver's license. It's not up to the state's responsibility to prepare me for that. There's some stuff I got to do. I got to read the book. I got to learn what the signs mean. Right? This, this, I mean, the Bible is the most read book in the world. So it's not like we don't have access to everything we need. Right? So real quickly, we're going to move on real quickly and cover the church, the church's power. Because I only got one more Sunday. So next Sunday we're going to talk about the church's future. So I want to kind of dr- drill on that one a little bit more. Because we are the future, right? So Acts 6, 1, 6 through 8 says, When they therefore came together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Everybody say power. But ye shall receive power. Everybody say power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. The power of the church, which is the body of Christ, is truly unlimited, isn't it? It's unlimited. But sometimes we don't believe that. A lot of times we don't believe that. How do I know that? Because we, our actions say it without our words ever saying it. 
we really sometimes don't believe how much power we really do have. God didn't create, Jesus didn't create a wimpy church. Right? He didn't create an anemic church. Right? A poorly looking church. He created a church with power. And when he said, which the Father hath put in his power, that word power right there is the word exousia, and it means authority. So, which the Father hath put in his own authority. So, what, did, what does the Bible say? That all authority and power was given in, unto Jesus, right? He was given all authority and power. All is all. All of whose authority and power? God's. So since God is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, and God is everywhere at the same time, and he's, so how can, he has to be God, doesn't he? Because there's only one of, one, there's only one being that has all authority and power. There's not two. They don't share it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's, there's not even two. All authority and power is given unto him. So not only did he give us authority, but he gave us dunamis, that second word power. He gave us a supernatural ability. What did Jesus say? Greater than greater things than these shall ye do, because I go to my Father. What? What was he talking about? What greater things? Greater than what? All the things that he did. He turned water into wine. He he healed the blind to die. He did all these things, right? And he told his church, his disciples, and greater things than these shall you do. Because he's God and because he he is the end from the beginning. He knows the end. He was already talking to us when he said that. So we have that power. Uh, Matthew 28:16 says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into the mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they when he they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. We still doubt sometimes, don't we? Even though they walked around with him for three and a half years and they saw all the great things that he did, and they 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 saw him after the resurrection, they still doubted. Sometimes we still doubt. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, exousia, is given unto me in heaven and earth. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore with my authority. I inserted that. That's what he's telling them. Go, go therefore with my authority. How do we have his authority? Huh? How do we have his authority? How is that possible? That's right. When we received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, when we took on His name in water baptism, we became His Son. So the Son of royalty has all of the authority and power that the King has. Right? My daddy's the King, and I can do anything I want. Right? There's a there's a little guy over there in Saudi Arabia, the crown prince, and he's the next one in line, and he's kind of acting like he's already King. Right? Because he knows he's going to be king. 
So that's what Jesus was saying. I got all authority and power and I am dwelling in you. He said, I shall be in you, didn't he? So when we receive the Holy Ghost, what, what is that? That's the power, the presence of the Spirit of Almighty God. The Spirit of Christ. So we have that authority and power. So he said, go ye therefore with my authority and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. What's the name of the Father? What's the name of the Son? What's the name of the Holy Ghost? I can prove that. It's in there. But we won't go there right now. Teaching them to observe all things in my word, what he's implying, whatsoever I have commanded you. Well, all the commands that he gave to them is in this book, isn't it? So everything that he said, we've got access to that. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Hebrews 12, some of you might be able to quote this, for the word of God, quick. And powerful. Powerful. The church is powerful. Everything that we are as the church is based on what? The Word of God. So that Word that we have, that we use and not abuse, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Why? Because it's the Word of God. It's the words of God. Dividing asunder of the soul and spirit of the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We've got some power as as the 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 organ of the church, the body. We have power that we don't even realize we have. Okay? Our testimony is probably the greatest and most powerful tool we have in our spiritual toolbox. Did you know that? Because nobody can take that away from you. And if you have a testimony, if you were involved in an accident and and you were there, you have a testimony about what happened in that accident because you experienced it for yourself. And you don't have to read it off of a script. You don't have to go home and type it up and read it. Because if the minute somebody asks you, you can remember that thing just like that in detail. Right? So our testimony is powerful. When God changed our life, when God delivered me from the desire to to smoke dope and to smoke cigarettes and to drink and do all those things that I had a desire to do before, when, when I knew God delivered me of that, I mean, I went to bed one night in Fort Huachuca, Arizona, a smoker, and I woke up the next day a non-smoker, May 21st, 1988. From that day until now, I have not touched a cigarette. It was as though God just took a hypodermic needle and just drew, just took it out of me. The next day, I had that I had a whole weekend before I had to go back to my school. Never even wanted one. Never even went through withdrawal. None of that. Went back to school that Monday morning. Everybody that was telling me to quit bumming and go buy my own on Friday, on Monday, they were offering them to me. (laughs) And I wasn't in church then either. But it was like something in me went, wait a minute. Last Friday, they were telling me, go get my own. Now they're offering me one. And I said, no, no, that's okay. I'm good. Amen? So God, this thing is powerful. And that's my testimony about that. So I don't tell people that I quit smoking. Because I didn't. 
Really, I can't take credit for that. God took them away from me. I tell people that. Because I laid in that bed that night and I said, God, I don't want to go home a smoker. I got little kids at home that were picking up cigarette butts out of my ashtray at home and putting them in their mouth. And I don't want to go back home like that, God. So I need you because I've, I've thrown away hundreds of dollars worth of cigarettes and I can't do this, God. I need you to do it. And he did it. He honored my prayer. He honored my faith and he did it. And that's why I'm to this day. Because he did that. I didn't do it. All I did was just give up. You know, hands up. Don't shoot. I give up. You got me. So our testimony is powerful. And then on top of that, we've got the word of God that's quick and powerful. So we got power, church. We got power. You might get yourself in a circumstance where you have to pray over somebody that needs healing. Well, you, you don't, you don't have to say, well, I, can we wait till the pastor's here? We don't have to do that. I got the Holy Ghost. You got the Holy Ghost. You got the Holy Ghost, right? If you got the Holy Ghost, you got the same power I got. I don't, we don't need the pastor to, to lay hands on somebody. You do it. What did he say? You shall receive power, dunamis, supernatural ability after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses. Use that power. We need to realize and use that power. We got power. Cause we, we don't, sometimes we can't wait for him to get here. We're, we have the opportunity where we are right now in that moment. Like Pastor Parker was saying, you, you when you have an opportunity in, in the store or something, don't wait until I'll pray for you later. Pray for him right there and there, right now. Exercise that power. Don't be afraid of it. Because if we're ashamed of him on earth, what's the Bible say? Don't be ashamed of us up there. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is what? Somebody say it. The power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if they're the filthiest biker guy that smokes dope and drinks beer. And it doesn't matter. I've heard enough testimonies of churches where the, the gang members showed up at church and sat on the front row because somebody challenged them that they, they weren't man enough to go sit in the front row of the church. You think you're tough. You think you're a man. I, get, I challenge you to go to this church and sit on the front row with your whole gang. And they did it. <laughs> they took the challenge. But guess what happened? The power of God fell in that church service. And some of those guys on that front row were down on their face talking in tongues and being filled with the Holy Ghost. Were they expecting that? No, no, no. Because this thing we got is powerful. It's powerful. First Thessalonians 4, 16. Well, no, no, that's the next. We won't go there. That's the next lesson. We're going to talk about the church's future. So his command to us as the church is to do what? Go forth. He gave us a command, a commission, didn't he? Go forth and make disciples. Right? Make disciples. How did Jesus make disciples? 
because he was the example for the rest of us. He didn't invite him to a building, did he? He went where they were in their situation, in their circumstance, on the side of the road, blind Bartimaeus. He went where they were. And when somebody else, one of his own followers, was critical, he said, bring him to me. And he showed them his. He didn't tell them what he was going to do. He just showed it to them. He let it happen. So when you're in those situations, you say, God, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me through you. All I'm doing is exercising my faith. You're saying this in your mind. I'm just going to say a simple prayer over this person, God, and if it's your will, heal them. And you just never know. But we got to we got to step out and exercise that power, don't we? If my boss at work gives me a bunch of authority and a bunch of uh, uh, delegation of power and I never use that, what good is it? I still act like I'm just one of the flunkies over here. No, he's given me that authority and power for a reason. Because he believes I can do it. He believes I can handle the responsibility. God wouldn't have given us this if he didn't think we could handle it. Right? Praise God. So let's take our break. And Sister Demuth, you can...